Welcome to the Pathway Podcast. This episode kicks off a brand new sermon series called Real Relationships. Pastor Jeremy will explore what the Bible says about our relationship with God, others, our family, and the church. This week, he will focus on our relationship with God. For information about small groups, Pathway Kids, or anything Pathway-related, contact us at pathwaybaptist.com connect. Hi, my name is Jeremy Flanagan, and I'm the lead pastor at Pathway Baptist Church. This past month, as Pastor Mitchell began his teaching series on parables, everything in our world changed. It got turned upside down. And so as our staff sat down to take a look at the months ahead, we discussed whether or not the sermon series that we had planned were things that we wanted to keep doing, or if there was something different that we needed to take a look at during this time. However, as we looked at what God had laid on our hearts early this year, we felt that with our current situation, it was even more important today. So in the month of May, we're going to be talking about how to find balance and margin in our lives. And I guarantee you all of us know now how much more important that subject is. And so that's what we'll be talking about in May. But right now for uh, today and for the rest of the month of April, we're going to be talking about relationships, real relationships, relationships that last, relationships uh, with our family, relationships with those around us, uh, relationships within our church and our family of believers, we're going to take a look at what we personally view as important in relationships and how that affects the way we interact with others. But to start it off, if we're going to understand what's important about relationships, we need to first look at our relationship with God. And so today we're going to be in the book of John in chapter 14. And God is the God of everything, and so obviously he's the God of relationships too. He built us to have relationships with each other. If you just look at the nature of God, especially if you explore the idea of the Trinity and God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, He personifies what a relationship is. And so before we can truly understand the way to best build strong ties to others, we need to set focus and know more about our relationship with God. So as we look in John chapter 14 today, it starts off with Jesus giving His disciples a message of hope. In John chapter 14 and verse 1, he says, Don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God and trust also in me. There is more than enough room in my Father's home. And if this were not so, would I have told you that I am going to prepare a place for you? When everything is ready, I will come and get you, so that you will always be with me where I am, and you know the way where I am going. So this message of hope, I think, sounds really good to us today, too, where Christ starts off telling his disciples who it's coming towards the end of his ministry there. Jesus had lived on earth for 30 years and then uh, had uh, three plus years of ministry. And for a couple um, you know, of years, more than that now, these disciples had followed him. And they have seen great miracles. They've also seen persecution. And here coming to the end, they were about to see the crucifixion of their Messiah. And so he was trying to let them feel a little bit of calm before the storm. And that's something we all need right now. But when he talked to them about that, and when he started telling them, hey, I have a place for you. I'm going to prepare that place. I'm going to come and get you. I'm going to take you with me to that place of safety. Instead of getting a response from them that was one of assurance, instead he got questions. He got questions uh, from Thomas who spoke up, who just kind of revealed his anxiety. And in verse 5, Thomas said, no, we don't know, Lord, Thomas said. We have no idea where you are going. So how can we know the way? You know, God speaks to all of us through His Word. He tries to speak to us through His Spirit. 
and to let us know that he's always there, to let us know that he is in control even when things around us have spiraled out of control. And, you know, still yet, doesn't Thomas sound like us? We know that God is telling us to have peace and to have joy, and we know that God wants us to feel his arms around us and to feel his strength, but sometimes that's just hard. We have messages from the Bible that should give us hope, but when difficult times come, it's hard to focus on those. We have examples of people throughout history. Uh, Many of you probably have really exceptional examples in your family, maybe even yourself or others that you know that in this life have endured horrible things and still stayed focused on God and found strength and comfort in Him. But when times are rough, when when things are getting tossed around, I mean, in our world today, when, when it seems like every day something new is knocking us off balance, it is difficult to put those things in the front of our thoughts and concerns. But Jesus wanted them to know that they could find peace. Now, I mean, for us today, searching for peace sounds almost as hard as it was for Thomas. I mean, for all of us now, for those who are uh, not able to leave out of their homes, you know, if you're an empty nester, if you are, are there alone, I know people that are dealing with, you know, feelings of isolation. For those who have had jobs that have moved home for now, maybe the difficulty of, of figuring out how to balance life and work all in the same place, how to be as effective uh, from a, a place in your house as you were at your office. For those with kids, you may be trying to you know, find just a moment of peace, struggling to find some uh, alone time or quiet time uh, in a home that, uh, that you are all in. Um, there's benefit from that, and we can find that, but it still may just feel out of control at the moment and, and difficult. You know, and even more than that, parents that still have to work to provide for their families and then find a way to be, be a full-time teacher to their kids when they get home or to balance all of those things. And, and for those who have lost their jobs or reduced hours, reduced salary, furloughed, and not sure what the future looks like, I mean, in all of these examples, how difficult is it to stop long enough and find peace? But God still wants to give us hope. Peace and joy right now seem in short supply. In a world when everything is turned upside down, how could it not? But when we sound like Thomas, who hears the words of Christ, and instead of calm feels anxiety, we need to dig deeper into God's word. We need to pray more, and we need to look to other places in order to find some joy, some peace. You know, if you've been around me very long, I don't quote a lot of individuals when I preach, but probably the person I do most is C.S. Lewis. Uh, he's uh, one of my favorite authors of um, both fiction and nonfiction. And in 1948, the author C.S. Lewis had served through the carnage of World War I and was living through the destruction of World War II. And they entered the atomic age. You know, we're now in the what you would call the nuclear age, but that started there with the atomic bomb and everything progressed so quickly and, and obviously the ability to have so much destruction wrapped up into one device it, it tore people apart in this world with fear. It made people wonder what was going to come next. And he had a quote that uh, I've actually seen many people share this week, and I want to share some of his words with you. He said, In one way, we think a great deal too much of the atomic bomb. How are we to live in an atomic age? I am tempted to reply, Why, as you would have lived in the 16th century, 
when the plague visited London almost every year, or as you would have lived in a Viking age when raiders from Scandinavia might land and cut your throat any night, or indeed, as you are already living an age of cancer, an age of syphilis, an age of paralysis, an age of air raids, an age of railway accidents, an age of motor accidents. You know, his quote goes on and it talks about how that the first thing that we should do is to kind of strengthen ourselves and focus on the positive things. That in the midst of fear, in the midst of everything else we face, to instead of allowing our focus to be on those things that we fear, to pour ourselves into the things that we should. You know, family, doing good, studying our Bible, prayer, those matters of faith that are eternal, and those things that truly do have lasting benefit. You know, when you read a quote like this, sometimes people can say, well, that's very fatalistic to look at life and say, well, all these terrible things are happening, so you shouldn't be afraid of them. That wasn't his point. His, his point, and if you look at him as an individual, as somebody who served in World War I, I don't think he would tell you to sit idly by while the Vikings were raiding the land. I don't think he would tell you to just sit there and not defend yourself when he himself did the opposite. You know, as a society and in the world, we have worked hard and prevented an all-out atomic war or nuclear war, which was their absolute fear when it first started. You can see how mankind works to reduce death, whether it be from acts of travel, whether it be through disease, whether it be through famine, uh, that we try to pull together to overcome these issues. And even now, when we have social distancing and we have all of these other measures that we're taking in our culture, in our nation, in our world, these are things that they've done, uh, whether it be a little over 100 years ago uh, with uh, the Spanish flu, whether it be throughout history with the plague or other illnesses he talked about. Mankind works hard to overcome these things that bring fear into our life and uncertainty, as we should. We should work together to do them. What he was trying to say, though, was that even though we can work and do what we can to overcome the, the pains of death and the pains of disease and famine, and even though that we should all join together to try and reduce these fears that, that grip us, ultimately, where our hope has to be, and the only person who can truly fix things forever is in God. And so we need to find peace and joy through Him. And if we can do that, if we can figure out how to do that, then when we face these terrible things, we still have an anchor. We still have a place that we can go to and find some rest. So when Thomas replied to Jesus, and Jesus had said, I'm going to prepare a place for you. I'm going to come get you. And when he said, but God, we don't know the way. We don't know the way how to find uh, ourselves into this place of peace. I mean, that's probably where some of us are today. We want it, we're searching for it, but we just can't seem to find some of the peace that God offers. And so Jesus' answer to them at that time, I think, works well for us. In John chapter 14, we keep going in verse 6. And Jesus told them, and he said some of the most famous verses that we have in Scripture. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. If you had really known me, you would know who my Father is. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip replied in verse 8 and said, Lord, show us the Father and we'll be satisfied. And Jesus replied, Have I been with you all this time, Philip, and yet you still don't know who I am? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. So why are you asking me to show him to you? 
Now, in verse 10, Jesus said, Don't you believe that I am the Father and the Father is in me? The words I speak are not my own, but my Father who lives in me and does his work through me. Just believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe because of the work you have seen me do. Now, I, I love reading this sometimes and almost feeling the, the attitude coming out from Jesus of, and he obviously knew their doubts, he's God, and he obviously knew the things they were struggling with, but just relaying this to them, saying, you should know already, you should get this, but you don't. If nothing else, simply believe because I've told you, and if you can't believe because I've told you, believe because of what you've seen, what you have seen me do. And so when I read that, I don't, I don't look down on individuals in the Bible who had trouble having faith because I find myself in that very same place today. I find myself in that same place throughout my life. I'm going to find myself in that very same place in the weeks, months, and years to come because there will always be times that I should know and have an understanding of who God is and that He's in control, but the situations around me don't let me find that peace. And I don't feel like I can find the way. And even though now I know from the scripture, the scripture they didn't have, and we have history to look at, and I know who Jesus is, and I know who God is, and I know what he has done, there are times it is still difficult for me to rely on that truth in order to find peace when everything around me is in turmoil. So even though they had spent years with Jesus, they didn't fully understand how their Messiah was still completely God. I want to make sure that today as we begin this series on relationships that we understand that Jesus and God are the same. It's not easy for us to understand either. I mean, we have the whole Bible in front of us and all this history, and we still will never fully understand the nature of God. But Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one can come to the Father except through Him. But God is not just made up of the Father in heaven and then the Son of God, Jesus Himself, who had come to live with them on earth and then to die for our sins. But Jesus also told them more. Down in verse 16 of John chapter 14, we continue and it says, And I will ask the Father, this being Jesus saying, I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate who will never leave you. So Jesus was about to leave this world, but he was saying, I'm going to give you someone who will never leave you. And he says in verse 17, he is the Holy Spirit who leads into all truth. The world cannot receive him because it isn't looking for him and doesn't recognize him. But you know him. And this is, is a change for us. He said, because he lives with you now and later will be in you. See, Jesus promised an advocate or a comforter in the person of the Holy Spirit. And while the Spirit of God has always been in the world, the relationship he was about to have with believers from very soon after Jesus said these words forward is very different. And what happened and, and what we see in this world today in the expression of the Trinity, we're going to explore that a little bit more in our small group video, but I want to share just a few things with you today. And so, you know, here in verse 17, Jesus says that the Holy Spirit will live in us. The indwelling of the Holy Spirit on people uh, when they trust in Christ as Savior, when they place their faith in Him. Well, they don't just simply know who Jesus is and what He did, but they say, that's what I'm going to believe in and place my trust in order for him to save me. When we do that, the scripture tells us that the Holy Spirit takes up resonance in us. That's what Jesus was promising in verse 17. 
We see in other places in the Bible, in many places, where it talks about the Spirit living within believers. In 1 Corinthians 6.19, it calls our body a temple that is the, the dwelling place of the Holy Spirit. But while the Holy Spirit serves a different role, and while it seems maybe more different from the Father and the Son than those two do from each other, it is still just as much God as the Father and the Son. They are all part of God. They all are God. And if you want me to explain exactly how that works, I don't care how much time we spend, I can never do it completely because I can never fully understand it. But what we do know is, is that the scriptures in the New Testament also refer to God living inside us. They also refer to Jesus living inside us. And then many, many times the Holy Spirit living inside believers. And so the scripture clearly points to God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit as being all part God, but different aspects or different persons of Him. They interact with us different ways. But God, just in His own being, I think one of the best verses that points it out is 2 Corinthians 13 and verse 14, where Paul is closing this letter and his ending to a letter to the church at Corinth says, May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. I mean, just very clear way is he's ending his, his second letter to them to just talk about the Trinity and point that out to them. You know what all of this means for us today when we start talking about relationships is that God in some ways has already shown us an example of his internal relationship within the Trinity itself. He already in God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and as you look through Scripture, interacts with himself in different ways. He obviously then communicates and works within the world and, and through humanity in different ways, in different aspects, through the different personages of God. But they're all still God. We have a God in heaven who sent the Son and the Son who died for us on the cross and the Holy Spirit who convicts us and then indwells us, seals us with God's promise. You see the entire Trinity working together in, this, in the act of salvation. And so God starts off, off showing us an example of his relationship within the Trinity itself. And when God created us, what did God say? He was going to create, he said, let us create man in our image. We're going to create him in our image, the image of the Trinity, not just one aspect. And we're not divine in any way, not whatsoever. The only righteousness we have is if we trust in Christ as Savior. That's it. And so there's nothing divine about us, but we are a reflection, a limited reflection, a human reflection of who God is. And so God created us to also need relationships, to also want them, to be in them, to benefit from them. We, on our own, aren't complete in what we can accomplish and what we can do. We aren't fulfilled. When he created the first person in Adam, what did he say? He said he needed someone with him. And that's when God created Eve. God is the God of everything, and he is the God of relationships. He has built us that way. So in order for us to fully live out our life in a way that God knows can bring peace and bring joy and bring strength, even in troublesome times like this, we need to focus on positive, good relationships. But we can't fully know exactly what, in my mind, what love means, what good relationships are, and how we can benefit from them if we first 
don't have a relationship with God. And even if you do have a relationship with God, if you've trusted in Him as Savior, if we're not spending time on that and focusing on what He teaches us through that, then we're not going to be able to take that into the other parts of our life. You know, you can hire somebody to go out and create a forgery of a painting. I read a few stories in preparation for this, and you know, whether it be a person who has paid $1,000 to recreate, recreate a Picasso that then they sold for $2 million, uh, that's a really good return on investment, by the way, until you get arrested. Uh, or if you have a, a museum in Turkey that over the course of many years, over 400 works um, between criminals and people that worked there, they actually took over 400 works off the walls, replaced them with forgeries, and for years and years, no one knew about it. Almost 10% of their entire collection. And people came in every day and stood there looking at the majesty of these forgeries. But as soon as they found out that they were fake, they were worthless. Even though they looked almost identical to the real thing, there was something missing. And as soon as people realized that there was something missing, then it held no value to them anymore. You know, we can do our best. We can try our hardest to recreate a, a godly view of love, and we can do our best to try and recreate a, a godly example of how to have relationships with others. But at some point in time, without God as the focus of our life, we're going to figure out that something is missing. And when we know that something is missing, then we realize that what we have isn't as good as it could be. And, and we keep searching for something different. And so I just want you today to understand that we're going to talk about relationships. We're going to talk about our personal view of them, relationships with friends, family, our church, and others. But you need to focus first and foremost about your relationship with Christ. As we're wrapping up today, I want to read a passage in Philippians chapter 2. In verse 4, we have this message and it says, Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. And so we'll read a little bit more in, in this passage next week, but it's just saying to us that we need to focus on others. We don't need to be self-centered. We need to spend time on other relationships. But he goes on in verse 5, and he says the way to do that, the way to not only look out for your own interests, but to think about others is this. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being when he appeared in human form. And so if we truly want to think about others, if we truly want to have relationships with others in the way that God says is going to be fruitful, then we have to have the mindset of Christ. It keeps going and it says that Jesus in verse 8 humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. Therefore God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all other names, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And so as we close today, I just want to ask you, can you say that personally, that you are able to declare and that you have made the decision in your heart to say, I know who Jesus is, I know what he has done, and I'm placing my trust that that's what it takes for me to go to heaven. I'm going to put my faith in him, no longer in myself. I'm going to put my faith in Jesus' sacrifice alone, not in anything that I can do or anything anyone else does. I'm going to simply believe in him as Savior. If you have done that, 
then that is the first step to finding peace and finding joy no matter what you face. If you haven't, then I would ask you to look at Scripture and to, and to trust in Him and to, and to say a prayer and just ask Jesus. Just make that decision of faith today. Contact one of us on staff, myself. I would love to talk with you anytime. And so if you have trusted in Christ as Savior, then are we focusing on Him? Are we investing in our relationship with God? Are we studying to know what God wants from us out of our relationship with Him? Do, do we know what He wants out of our relationships with others? Are we investing in the only thing that's eternal and then allowing God to work through us to make us who He wants to be? And so we live in a world where peace and joy are hard to come by. Even for believers, it's difficult to always focus on Him and not allow distractions come in our way. But if you will focus on your relationship to God today, then everything as you move forward can start to find some peace, some joy, and we can start building those real relationships that we want with others.